My podcast partner Joe Rayola recently did a stand-up show, The Joy of Censorship, Free Speech in the Age of Trump, for a red state audience. So, was it a blast or a bomb? We'll find out this episode. Plus, this episode includes a detailed explanation of the Trump monkey theory, which everyone needs to know about because, as Joe so eloquently puts it, Monkeys funny, we like monkeys. I'm Rob Mead Sperry, and this is episode 8 of After the Laundry, The Misery. Hello, Joe. Hello, Rod. Let's just jump right into this thing. We've talked very recently about matters of free speech as relates to um, the Sam B story that we did a couple episodes back. Right. Uh, And related to free speech, you've been developing this show called The Joy of Censorship, Free Speech in the Age of Trump. And you brought that show to a red state performing it in Great Falls, Montana, where one might think that this was some of what you might have to say about the age of Trump may not be well received. And I want to hear how it went. You know, I've been doing uh, Joy of Censorship around the country for over 20 years now, but this was my first performance during the Trump presidency. And it was in a red state. And as you say, and I got to tell you, Great Falls audiences. They're the greatest audiences in the world. It was it was so much fun. I performed in Montana many years ago, and I was uh, performing um, this time in the Library Theater. And you know, nice size audience for Great Falls. I mean, the show was on a Thursday night, and if you were in Great Falls on this particular Thursday night and you were looking for something fun to do, I may have been your only option. So. <laughs> There were about 70 or 80 people uh, who, who showed up for this, and we had a blast. It was so much fun to just get into the into all the muck, <laughs> all the muck with everyone. And, um, you know, I've performed in a lot of red states, and the more I do it, the more, uh, the more I, I realize that we have a lot more in common than not, I would say. And we had a blast. I'm glad to hear that. I mean, one could imagine that this could just on paper could go wrong could go yes. could go south and you're you're actually stating that you got into the muck with them what does that mean to get into the muck with them well first i will tell you that i was warned before i went to great falls people were telling me that i was going to be shot during the performance itself that if i in fact if i was not shot that i should consider the performance a success so um <laughs> or a failure, depending on how you look at it. A very low, uh, low, low standard. And in fact, before the show that afternoon, I went to a sporting goods uh, a store, a camping store in Great Falls, where they had a big gun exhibit, and they had families there, uh, you know, grandparents and children with the toy rifles shooting at, at muskrats and beavers, you know, ro- robotic beavers and muskrats, etc. I mean, the gun culture is completely. In, embedded in Montana in a way that it's not here. So um, I was glad not to be shot. I, I, um, sure. I, I, was, I was glad. But I, think of the press. I think it would have been really excellent, excellent press. I started the, the show by saying how much I love Great Falls, which is always a very good way to start a show in a, in a place out of town. Boy, I love it here. And um, I was just talking about, I was walking around town and I had to pee. I had to go to the 
bathroom and I just stopped into a restaurant and asked if I could use the restroom and the the uh, young woman there said sure and I went in and I urinated and I left and I said thank you and she said you're welcome and boy that was really great Great Falls is a wonderful town to urinate in and it's something that you, you can't do when you're walking around New York City <laughs> that's a nice slogan for the sign on the outskirts of town as you enter <laughs> A great place to urinate. So I'm, I'm, I'm actually, I'm actually re- re- relating this for a reason because it, it, it backed <laughs> me up when I heard about it after, after the show. I so I related the, the, the story to the audience that you know I had been walking around New York City not long ago and I had to urinate and I found myself in front of a, 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 a chick fillet and I thought, well, I'll urinate in the chick fillet, and I had already mentioned to the audience by that point that I did, did not eat meat so i go on i see that there's a sign on the door of the of the chick-fil-a and i ask could anybody guess what that sign said and someone from the audience yells out no vegetarians <laughs> <laughs> and the entire audience busts up laughing and it's the first big laugh of the show it didn't come it wasn't generated by me and i said to the guy hey would you like to come up <laughs> you like to come up here and finish the show you're doing better than i am so <laughs> from from there you know i i just relate this story about being a a non-meat eater in a chick-fil-a and walking in and being overwhelmed by the powerful aroma of boiled and oiled chickens and finding it utterly repugnant but then stopping and looking around the place and noticing that no one else had the response that i did that everyone else in this Chick-fil-A was having a very wonderful time, seemingly really enjoying the odor of the boiled and oiled chickens. And not only that, there was a line around the corner of people waiting to get in. And I went on from, from, from there, none of this having anything to do with Trump or censorship or anything. Anyway, after the show, one of the producers who, who brought me in relates to me that that was their favorite part of the show. And it wasn't even a joke. It was that when I was in the middle of the Chick-fil-A story that I didn't attack the meat eaters, that I didn't put the carnivores down, that I didn't get into a whole moral vegetarian thing about that, that Mm. I I made an allowance. I understood that, hey, you know what? Some people like this. I just pointed it out that I was in the vast minority at that time. And that was really interesting feedback for me because I realized it's a good thing to not attack your audience. <laughs> you know, it's a good mm. thing for a comedian to not do that. And I didn't betray any of my principles. It was pretty clear that I was a liberal, that I was not a fan of Trump. Uh, it was pretty clear that I was I was concerned about uh, the state of the First Amendment and free speech in this country, especially now. But I was able to get into it all without being so damn polarizing. Mm. And it served me, it served me well. It just served me well to be able to, to, to do that. And, you know, the nature of doing solo comedy, the nature of being a stand-up, especially if you're not a celebrity and if you're in a town where you don't have fans, people have come out because they're interested in seeing you or hearing what you have to say. They don't know what to expect. They're going to make up their minds in the first five minutes whether they like you or not. And if they like you, they'll go on the journey with you. And if you don't, you're doomed. So that was interesting for me to be in in Great Falls in a polarized time, talking about a difficult subject, an interesting subject, First Amendment for free speech, also talking about the Second Amendment too, 
but being able to get into it in a way uh, that I wasn't making enemies right at the start, that really felt good. Did you make enemies by the end? <laughs> you know, I don't think I, I, I did, which in a way scares me because some part of me thinks if I'm on target and I'm sharp, I'm going to offend someone. I'm really going to piss someone off. But actually, um, I don't think I did that in this in in this uh, in the show. Probably a lot of people in the audience disagreed with me, and I I would bet anything, most of the uh, audience, more than half, probably did not vote for Hillary. But I think you know when people are laughing, it's hard for them to be angry, and it was just a it's just a night of such of such fun, because there's a only way to approach this stuff, especially now. When you think about where the First Amendment is and free speech is in, is in this country, there's enough to upset liberals and conservatives, I think. So uh, I try not to come from a liberal point of view. There's really, uh, even though I am liberal, I try to come from a, a more, I'm going to say a, a, a more human point, point of view. Like, holy shit, have you seen this? Did you hear about this? And this was also the first time ever in public that I trotted out my Trump monkey theory. And uh, the, <laughs> you know, it, it went over very well. I think it's something that even, you know, conservatives could relate to. Now, I've, I've, I've mentioned the Trump monkey theory to you. Do, you. do you want me to go through the Trump monkey theory here? Well, I certainly do, because I enjoy the Trump monkey theory. And you and I have talked about the Trump monkey theory. And in fact, all manner of comedic theories involving monkeys. <laughs> we haven't talked about it on the podcast. So, yeah, give it to us. <laughs> I'll, I'll give it to you. First, you need to know that when I was a kid growing up, I loved monkeys. I loved chimps. And my favorite chimp uh, was named Bingo. This was Abbott and Costello's chimp. Well, Bingo was the, the chimp on their television show. And he had a hat and he had a, a plaid jacket and roller skates. And he was highly amusing. And there were other chimps in various films that I don't recall, but the chimp or the monkey, of course, always said comedy. In fact, we did a feature in Mad for many years called Monkeys Are Always Funny, in which we would just superimpose a monkey into any photo that was in the news, thereby immediately making that photo funny simply by adding a chimp. And of course, the Mad issue edited entirely by monkeys. Oh, that was the, fun. We did. <laughs> one of the, certainly one of the greatest comedic things I can think of. <laughs> that was a fun issue to work on, right. The, 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 the conceit was the entire issue was written and edited by monkeys, and all the articles were about monkeys or included the monkey somehow. Right. So, monkeys, funny, we like monkeys. And I remember various <laughs> films where, you know, there would be some professor or scientist or someone who's trained the monkey, who's trained, civilized the monkey. And the monkey's there in a suit with the upper crust. And the monkey's there at the table sipping demitasse. And the people are very impressed. And they say, look, he's trained the monkey. And the monkey behaves for a short period of time before it reverts to being a monkey. It starts swinging from the chandeliers and throwing its feces around and mayhem ensues. And <laughs> that's wonderful to see that. And when that happens, of course, the monkey upstages the entire scene. You, you don't know the name of any actor or actress in the scene because the monkey really overshadows and overwhelms everything. And all of the other actors and actresses in the scene 
with the monkey are evaluated by how they relate to the monkey, whether they are with the monkey or against the monkey or outraged by the uh, monkey. And the more outraged they are by the monkey, of course, the more likely the monkey is to throw his species in their face or on, or, or on the, the high society lady. Yes. So this is, this, is, this is how it went. And I always enjoyed that. Monkey always reverts to being the monkey. Well, Trump in the political world, Trump is the monkey. Okay, he's very, very similar. You could put him in a suit. You can comb his hair. You could train him. Look, he's acting presidential. He's reading from the teleprompter. And people are impressed. But he inevitably reverts to being who he is. He starts throwing feces around. He starts lying. He starts offending people. He can't help it. He 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 cannot help but revert to this primitive being who the guy actually is. And similarly to the movie scene, everyone in the scene with Trump is evaluated by how they relate to Trump. And, and that's it. You know, Trump is the presidential pooper in the punch bowl. That's who he is. And a lot of people love the idea that anyone, president or not, is pooping in the punch bowl. They wish they could poop in the punch bowl. They think the punch bowl needs to be pooped in. They're amused by it. They applaud when it happens. They like it. And that's who this guy is. Now, this theory, I might add, is not really a liberal or conservative theory. It's, it's coming from a different place, but it's a theory that both liberals and conservatives could appreciate, I think. I mean, when you say that the president is throwing his feces, I think that the metaphor is a little pointed. But what it really speaks to is that his prime motivation and, or at least prime function is disruption. Yes. Yes. Same as the monkey. And he can't help but disrupt. That's, that is his default setting. So he will always do that. Um, and he's going to continue to do that. And he, if he changes that behavior, it's only a temporary shift. He will revert to it soon en enough. So I tested this theory out before, before an audience in Montana for the first time. And I would say that generally speaking, that made a lot of sense to them. <laughs> so <laughs> It's good to be out there in, in, this, in this time of polarization. Uh, when we seem to have lost the ability to converse, really to converse, you know, we're not good listeners in, what in was our that? culture. We're not good <laughs> listeners. You walked, you walked right <laughs> I was, into I was, that. I was a bit late on that. I was a bit late. Yeah, sure. Right. We're lousy listeners, you know, especially men, by the way, because men in, the, in our culture are we're really trained to look. It's all about the eyes, right? We look at we look at data. We look at women. We we're looking at the road. We're we're, we're looking at our screens. Well, and, and we're trained to direct. We have it ingrained in us that we are the we say how it's going to be. When that's the mind state that you and the privilege that you have, how good of a listener can you be? Right. And you've been talking about the Buddhist uh, concept of of right speech, to which I said, well, in in our culture, it's I am right speech. That's, yeah. the, that's the speech that we really love. We love debate, although we don't even really debate. It's, it's really strange. Like we want healthy debate. Healthy debate is a good thing. Healthy debate is actually a sign of a, of, of a functional democracy. It's, 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 it's a healthy thing. But the things that we debate 
like should we have a debate as to whether or not a giraffe could balance a checkbook? That's not a debate worth having. Um, it, it, it's just not a debate worth having. I don't think I, w- I would tune that one out. And we, I would definitely tune not- into that one myself. <laughs> you would tune in. <laughs> I would just have to hear the four side. Wouldn't you? Yes. I'd like to, I'd like to do that. I'd like to be the four side, but you know, you, you understand. So that's what we're, we're having debates on that level now about a lot of things that are just are seemingly factual, but no, CNN will put someone on who, who says climate change is not happening. Is that, is that good? Is it, should, should we be doing that? Or, or, or that, um, I don't know. I'm trying to think of a more, a more absurd example than that. I, I don't know if I mentioned this to you before. There's an old Graham Nash song that I always loved. Um, it's from his album Songs for Beginners. And I forget the name of the song, but there's that wonderful line when he sings, two and two make four, they never make five. Mm-hmm. And as long as we know it, we all can survive. Right. There is such a thing as, as a fact. And it doesn't seem like we should be debating facts, but everything is blurred now, right? Everything, everything has been blurred. Well, certainly. And, and, you know, you say that we say that we want a healthy debate. I think that it's less that we want one and more that we are trained to say that we want one. What we actually want in our heart of hearts is we want professional wrestling. Yes, we want uh, professional uh, wrestling. And we also, we want to be right. Let's be very clear about that. I want to be right. I want to change your mind. I've come into this discussion wanting to change your mind. And by the way, if you don't come around to my point of view by the end of this conversation, something is terribly wrong with you, buddy. I, I got to tell you, when I landed in uh, Great Falls, my cab driver, this is, I wouldn't have predicted this, but, you know, I drove a cab for eight years, so maybe I shouldn't be shocked. I get on the cab. This guy immediately starts off on a political rant. And this mm. guy is, is rabid pro-Trump. He's telling me that the media hates Trump. They don't like Trump. They're against Trump. He, he's going on all about he's rattling off all the good things that Trump is doing. It was really interesting to hear that. It's not the kind of thing you typically hear from a cab driver in New York. But there it was. And I was kind of astonished, but also, okay, I'm just just kind of taking note of this. I'm I'm I've come to a a, a different place, Montana. More people live on 15th Street in New York City than in the entire state. You know, and, and to it, to illustrate the difference, we got in the cab. My wife and I got in a cab the other day, and we quickly just somehow something came up about the sad state of the news, and the cab driver said with no reservation at all it's nothing that a bullet in trump's head wouldn't fix oh i'm no fan of the guy but can you imagine starting in with that it was shocking where was this where, where was this this was in the north northeast of halifax nova scotia interesting having just spent time in, in canada i went north to milk river in alberta and I did a canoe trip on the Milk River. And it was really interesting being in Canada for a couple of weeks. I have to say, it seems like a much happier place. Just stepping back a little bit, we're, we're talking about the, the idea of being wanting to be right. And you had said that you 
didn't offend anybody. Do you think you converted anyone into seeing things a little more your way? Oh, no. That <laughs> I've learned that lesson. The, the election of Trump really drove home the point, not just for me, but for the entire comedy community, that our influence is very, very limited. I mean, we did everything possible at MAD to make sure Trump didn't get elected. We were merciless. The Trump cover after Trump cover, we mocked him every possible way we could. Of course, we'd mock Hillary too, but we especially mocked Trump. It didn't matter. The whole late night community was on Trump on a, a, every night, Saturday Night Live, The Onion, the entire comedy community. We like to think that we have that kind of influence, but really, I don't think satirists have that kind of influence. Maybe I changed uh, someone's mind to the degree that they thought, gee, for a liberal, this guy's not an asshole. <laughs> you know, <laughs> maybe, maybe I got that. But did I change anyone's point of view? What do you think the function, your function as a satirist is? Is it simply to make us laugh? And, and if we're on your side to soothe us by giving us the comfort of knowing that somebody is articulating our fears? I want to go back to what I just said. If anyone in the audience, I got to the point of, of them actually thinking, hey, for a liberal, this guy's not an asshole. That's a big victory. I'll, I'll take it. You know, that, that in itself is a positive move. I don't mean to get go spiritual on you, but I just think it's a good thing to, to inspire laughs in, in a world in which we seem to hate each other. Until next time, visit JoeRayola.com for more from Joe. And for more from me, Rob Mead Sperry, and my colleagues at the Buddhist magazine and website Lion's Roar, check out LionsRoar.com. Thanks for listening to After the Laundry, The Misery. <laughs>